We're looking at a, a group of scriptures that kind of parallels with where we're at as a church family, I believe. We're looking at the children of Israel coming out of Egypt up to the banks of the Jordan River where God gives them the command to cross over into the promised land. They went on this bumpy road of a journey to get where God wanted them to be. And as a church, we've kind of been on a bumpy road to get where God wants us to be, not just corporately as a church, but how many of you would say there's been some bumps on the road of your life to get you to where you are right now? Yeah, we've all been on this, this, uh, this little journey. And sometimes life is great, and sometimes there's some storm clouds out there. And it all comes into play, and it all plays a part into getting you where God wants you to be and becoming who God wants you to become. Um, the children of Israel sitting at the banks of the Jordan River, and this whole generation has died out because of their rebellion to what God asked them to do. And now they're looking across at all the potential and all the promises in front of them, and there's a new generation. There's a fresh feel, there's a new focus. But there's two people in this camp that have been with these people for a long time. And while the whole nation is sitting there at the banks of this Jordan River, getting ready to cross over into the promised land that God said he was going to give them, you've got two guys sitting with this group of people that have already been where this entire nation wants to go. They've already walked in the promised land. They've already seen the fruit. They've already seen the fields. They've already seen how awesome it is. They've already seen that everything that God promised to them is right over that river. They already know. They've already seen it. But they've had to wait a long time for this moment. You ever had to wait a little bit for God to do something in your life? And those seasons sometimes can be kind of trying and kind of testing. For these two guys, what they were fixing to do was nothing new. This was a long time coming. Who knows what those two guys' names were? Joshua and what? Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Two of the spies that Moses sent out into the promised land when they come up too close to um, the Jordan River way back when, 40 years ago, a whole generation ago. And these guys have been faithfully waiting to step in to what the promise was that God had for them. That's amazing. And a lot of people don't realize that all of the stuff that happened when they crossed over into the Jordan River, you realize how close it came to not happening at all? How close this moment in time came to not happening at all? Because of the report of just a few people, the nation of Israel almost missed out on this entire moment, being able to step over into what God had for them. They almost missed out on it. Because a small group of people dealt with and gave in to what holds most people back from accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish in their life. And you know what it was? You can say fear, and you can say that they were overwhelmed. You can say that they, um, they were in a way that, that they doubted what God said, but when you boil it all down, right down to the core of what it was, they almost missed out on the promise and the provision of God in the promised land because they were selfish. 
and they wanted to preserve themselves. And I'll show you in Scripture. If you got your Bibles or your tablets, open them up to the book of Numbers. We're going to go back in time now. This is before the children of Israel ended up on the banks of the Jordan River, fixing to cross over into the Promised Land. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. Moses has sent these spies out to check out the Promised Land, and they've come back to give them a report of what they've seen. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, where they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave, this, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And there's that daggone word, but. But. It's always best to keep a but out of what God wants to do in your life. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? In fact, turn to the person next to you and just say, keep your butt out of God's plan. You just said butt in church. Was that cool? But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. You know what that means? Big people, giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live in the sea, near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said this. He said, look, we should go up there and handle business. We got to get up there and take possession of the land. We can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Talk about hashtag fake news. <laughs> <laughs> the land we explored in, we explored, devours those living in it, and all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Look at this. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. We look the same to them. A couple of thoughts about selfishness. Selfishness is a veil that will blind you. Selfishness is a veil that will blind you. These guys went over into the promised land, okay? And they saw, they even said when they gave the report, it's true, it flows with milk and honey. It's everything that God said it was. They had the fruit of the land with them. The Bible says when they carried a cluster of grapes, it took a couple of people to, cu to carry the grapes on a pole. That's a lot of grape juice. That's a whole lot of grape juice. It took a couple of guys to do that. They saw that everything that God had said about the land was true. But they were blinded to all of that and the truth of what God said because they were intimidated by the giants that they saw in the land. And they shrunk back into a position of self-preservation. And they thought about the mission that God had called them on and they, and they realized what it was going to cost. And they realized the risk that was going to be taken when they stepped over into that land that was occupied by all these giants. And in a moment of self-preservation that's probably motivated by fear, they said, yeah, everything God said was true. But they were blinded. They were blinded by that but. That's a big but. That's a big but. 
And I know we think, wow, those people were so dumb. How could they be so narrow-minded? How could they be short-sighted like that? They had seen God bring them out of Egypt. They had seen God feed them and provide for them. They had seen God give them a fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day to watch over them. They had seen God destroy the entire Egyptian army. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They saw God bring them to the place where they were. And then they saw that everything that God had promised them about the land that was in front of them was true. And they lost sight of it because they were blinded by selfishness. Because they were intimidated by what was there. And they weren't willing to step out and put themselves in a place where they were vulnerable and in full trust to what God had said he was going to do in their life. That's crazy. What was wrong with those people? But stop and think about it though. How many times have we done that in our own lives? I mean, really, how many times have you seen God move mountains in your life? How many times have you seen God provide when you thought there was no way there was going to be any kind of provision? How many times have you seen God heal and restore and be faithful, and then you look a giant in your life square in the eyes and say, uh, I just don't think so. Because you feel like you're a grasshopper. And you feel like that situation and that circumstance is too big for you. Well, these are general terms. So take a guy. Let's say, is there anybody here named Enrique? I figured Enrique would be a safe name. We're good? No Enriques today? All right. Look, if you're watching this or if you're watching online, if you're listening to the podcast, your name is Enrique. Just roll with it. You're cool. Um, But take Enrique. All right. Enrique loves God. Enrique's giving his life over to the Lord. He's just going full tilt to do everything he can do to serve God and become the person that God has called him to be with his life. And Enrique is killing it. Enrique is involved in ministry. Enrique is showing up to church. Enrique is giving faithfully because he's trusting God with his finances. And, and he's seen God provide over and over and over again. And here come the kids and the bills get a little more expensive and Enrique gets, he, he buys some things that, that overextend himself and his budget just a little bit, but he's okay, he's making okay money and he can pay for stuff. And then you throw in something like a wrecked vehicle that you gotta come out of pocket for. And then you throw in something called children get sick sometimes. Do your kids get sick? My kids don't just get sick. Like my kids like to share things. You know, like, they, one, 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 if, if Abby gets sick, she's going to share it with Hannah. And Hannah likes to give, so she's going to give it to me or Kelly. Is usually how it works out. We like to give things in our family. So it's not like one kid gets sick. It affects everything. But if kids get sick, here comes some extra expense. And then Enrique gets called in, and his boss says, Hey, man, look, business hasn't been what it's been before. We're having to make some cutbacks. You've only been here a few years. We're going to have to cut your position. Now the guy's looking at a huge giant in his life because he's overextended himself a little bit financially and just enough life has happened that he's compromised a little bit. And now he's looking at possibly, and he's looking at losing his job and having to change his income level and maybe move into a new arena. And Enrique's got a choice. And what most people do is this. Even though they've seen God provide over and over and over and over again, they look that situation in the eyes 
And they say, wow, we're going to have to circle the wagons. We're going to have to circle the wagons and make some stuff happen. And you know what most people do in a moment like that? They cut giving. Because they look at a giant and they look at a situation and say, wow, I'm not going to have the income that I used to have. And Enrique goes and he gets another job, but he's making about 10 grand less a year than he was before. And he's got to make a choice. Either I want to trust the same God that provided me for me all this time, or I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not making the money I used to make. I can't afford to give anymore. How many times have you heard people say, because I know it's never been any of us. We always hear people say this. But how many times have we heard people say, man, I would love to give to the church, but I just can't afford to. That's just a great example of what happens in life. Because sometimes we look at giants. We look at giants square in the eye. And we forget about everything that God has done. And we forget about all the mountains that he's moved. And we look at that thing and we say, wow. There's, that's, that's just, that becomes too big. That's a big deal. I'm going to have to step back. There's no way. There's no way. And we forget about the promise and the provision that's come up to that point. The second thing about selfishness is this. Is that selfishness always leads you. It always leads you to a place where you're in rebellion against God's word. Every time. Because we're blinded by it and we don't see what we're doing because selfishness is a veil that blinds us. Um, and and it's to say, somebody, somebody gets hurt. And it's a legitimate thing. How many of y'all have been hurt before? <laughs> Dude. I have got a book of hurts. I guarantee you, I know what it's like. People will disappoint, people frustrate, people will betray you, people will just hurt you. I know what it's like to be hurt, man. Um, the good news is Jesus does too. Jesus does too. And he can take that hurt and he can heal it. And he can restore your life. You say somebody gets hurt and all they see is the, they see the wound. All they see is the wound. All they see is the wound because it's a self-inflicted. It, it, it's, a, it's an inflicted wound on them, and all they see is that because selfishness in that moment blinds you. Because all you think about is how you're hurt. All you think about is how you've been disappointed. And look, it might be a legitimate thing, but then here comes God, and He goes, "Look, look. It's it's time to let go of that, and it's time to forgive those people." And it's time to let me heal and restore your heart. And it's time to move on. What a lot of people do in their walk with God is because they're blinded and all I see is how that situation is affecting them. It dominates their thoughts. It dominates their emotions. And without realizing it a lot of times, they get put in a place where they become rebellious against the word of God. Because God says we're supposed to do what to people when they hurt us? Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. And so, now we're looking at Scripture, and Jesus says, hey, look, man, I know you're hurt. I know it's real. I want to restore it. I need you to forgive, and let's move past that. Because if you're not careful, you'll be in a place where unforgiveness begins to mess with you big time spiritually, because what does Jesus say in his word about forgiveness? He said, if you don't forgive people when they sin against you, what did he say? He said, I, I, won't be able to forgive you of your sins. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, selfishness and self-preservation can mess you up 
because it gets you in a place where you're in rebellion now against the word of God. And it'll cripple what God wants to do in your life. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 20. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. Numbers 14, 20. You guys got it? You don't have Numbers 14, 20? At all? My goodness. These guys, this nation of Israel... You got it now? All right, good job. There we go. Despise have spread the bad news through the camp, and they've just absolutely ticked off God. The Lord replied, I've forgiven them, because he wanted to kill them. He wanted to destroy them, and Moses had to intercede and say, please don't kill these people. I've forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. They were blinded by their selfishness. It put them in rebellion against what God had commanded them to do. And now that rebellion caused by their selfishness was, in, it was crippling what God wanted to do for the nation of Israel. And it'll do the same thing in your life. It'll do the same thing in your life. Um, I want to ask you a question this morning. Honestly. Just stop and think about it. Are you a selfish person? Are you a selfish person? Naturally. Are you a selfish person? Has God asked you to do something in your life? And you looked at what he asked you to do. And you found yourself intimidated by it. And you found yourself shrinking back from it. Whether it was, whether it was a calling on your life to operate in, a, in some arena of ministry. Or whether it's giving financially like he wants us to do whether it's forgiving somebody. Are we selfish people? Josh, what's your motivation in even asking a question like this? Because usually in church, here's where the hammer starts to come. Here's where the pastor goes, pow, and just brings the bat. I want to let you know my motivation in this. Why am I asking questions like that? Why would I ask if you're a selfish person? Because I want you to operate in God's best for your life. Okay? I want you to be able to walk in the blessing and in the promise and in the provision of God for your life. And there's no way that you can do that. There's no way that I can do that if we become selfish if we become intimidated by the giants that we see in the land, and if we retreat in ourselves and shrink back from what we know God has asked us in Scripture to do and what God has commanded us in Scripture to do. My whole motivation as your pastor is I want you to be able to be the person that God has called you to be. I want you to be able to operate under the window of blessing that God wants to bless you with. And I want to see you become the person and the instrument of change that God intended for you to be in this world. Yeah. 
okay? But that's not going to happen unless we start knocking down giants in our lives. That's not going to happen unless we start knocking down giants in this church. And some of us have had the season in our life where we've just been looking at issues and looking at circumstances and looking at hurt. And God's been saying, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. It's time to knock the giant down. It's time to go into the promised land. And we've been so intimidated by what we've seen that we've lost sight of the power of God in our lives and the potential that rests inside of us by his spirit. I want to challenge you this morning to cross over and not be intimidated by the situation situation or the giant that might be camping out in that land that God wants you to move into okay that's my whole heart that's my motivation I want to see you guys thrive in your walk with God and I want to see our church become a place that's impacting the community around us I want this church to be a church where unchurched people can come and feel welcomed I want this church to be a church where lives can be impacted and changed I want this church to be a church where you feel comfortable inviting people in and letting God move in their lives. I want this church to be a church that's involved in the community and reaching out and, hurt, and, and reaching hurting people that desperately need the love of God in their lives. But listen, there's some giants we're gonna have to start to kill in this church. Amen? Can I talk to you as a pastor for a little bit? There's some giants we're gonna start killing in this church. And the first one is this, listen. We're never going to be able to see God impact people through our lives and through this church if we are selfish in our evangelism. Okay, can we just talk? Can we just talk? Most Christians are scared to death to talk to people about the Jesus that has supposedly radically impacted their life. You know? And, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think a big reason is that a lot of people go to churches where they don't feel comfortable inviting people to come into their church. I think that's a big factor, and I never want that to be the case here at LifePoint. I never want that to be the case here at LifePoint, ever. But we're scared. I think people are scared on how they're going to be perceived, and I think people operate in fear because they feel like they're going to be asked questions that they don't know the answers to. And all they see is that obstacle of fear. And all they see is that inadequacy in their life. All they see is that giant that's standing between them and the promise of God for their life. You know how many lives God could impact through you? You know how many lives God could impact through us as a church if we would just step out of the way and move past fear and allow God to operate through us? It doesn't take a lot to invite somebody to church. Let me show you how to do it. Hey, what's up? You want to come to church with me? You don't need a theology degree for anything like that. You don't even have to take an online course at the University of Phoenix how to invite people to church or anything. I mean, you can just, you can roll right into it. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? It's easy. It's easy. But our church is never going to reach the people that God wants us to reach if as individuals we don't go out and let God reach those people through us. Amen? Um, same thing's true. We got a big a giant that we've got to knock down in this church, and it's called it's called um, it's called generosity. It's called your boy. I just watched the eyes glaze over. I just watched eyes start to glaze over because you know what I'm fixing to say next. It's going to come down to your giving. 
and trusting God with your finances. I just lost you. I lost probably two-thirds of the people in here, I think. I hope I didn't, but I think I did. Y'all just glazed over. And you know why? Because you're used to, when I say giving, you flash back to every pastor in your past who has guilted you and felt like you were manipulated to pull out $20 and throw it in a plate. Most of you. You ready for me to drop the hammer and you're wanting me to, and you're ready for me to bust out a scripture that says that if you don't give your tithe and you don't faithfully trust God with your finances, that you're going to be under a what? See, y'all are churched up good. Y'all are churched up good. Y'all know the answer to the question. You're going to be cursed. Now, is that biblically true? Yeah, it's biblically, yeah, it's biblically true. Let me ask you though, is that the motivator for why we give? so that we don't get a spiritual spanking from God? Are you kidding me? No, no. You know why we give? Did you know that in, in, in scripture that there's like twice as many verses about giving than there are about prayer? And there are, it's just full, the scripture's full of giving. You know why? Because Jesus knew that the number one competitor for that spot in our heart right there was gonna be our stuff. It's gonna be our stuff. So he circled it and said, you know what? It's gonna be the stuff. So if you will honor me first with your stuff, I'll bless your stuff so you can not only have more stuff, but your stuff will last longer because I know that your stuff is not on the throne where I'm supposed to be. There's a promise that comes with that. The Bible says that if you give, what'll happen? It'll be given to you. That's what it says. Um, the Bible also, the Bible also says that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that what'll happen? All of the stuff that you need, he'll provide. There's a promise. But what we see a lot of times is the giant when it comes to giving. And we see what it's gonna cost us and we see, oh wow, I don't know that I can afford to give that. Well, that's, a, that, that that's an issue that's got to be settled right here. Because God's already given us the promise that if we trust him, he'll provide. It's there in scripture. Now, is the Bible true? Yeah. Is his promise to provide for us if we trust him with our finances true? If the promise is true and we know that God is faithful and we've seen God provide before and we know that scripture says he'll provide again, then why do we get intimidated and back down when we look at how much money we've got and then we look at how much month is left after the money? Y'all are quiet. Y'all love me? These are giants that we need to knock down. Why? What's your motivation, Josh? I don't want, listen, first of all this, I know a lot of people don't trust guys like me. All right, where does that money go when we give it in that bag? I promise you, I don't take all the money and throw it in, my, in a little knapsack and take it with me and blow it all between Sunday to Sunday on stuff that I want. All right, there is so much accountability here at this church for the finances, it's ridiculous. Every check that's written gets reviewed. Um, there, there just, there's fail safes and safety checks. Now, we, are, we are so anal about the finances here and the safety and the integrity of how we operate with money, it's ridiculous. The money that you give to this church funds the ministries of this church so that we can do what? We can reach more people. So that we can reach more people. I want you to trust God with your finances. But listen, if you don't trust me, if you don't trust me, then that's fine. Begin to tithe to a different church. 
begin to tie to a different church. If you don't trust me and you think my whole motivation in saying this and this message today is to get more money out of you to pad the wallet of this church, give to a different church. The principle is that you give to God the first fruit of what he's blessed you with. I want you to be blessed. I want you to walk under the umbrella of blessing. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, I want to take all the reservation and all the preconceived notions out of me. If you don't trust me, that's fine, I get it. You may not know me that well. Give to another church. Trust God. I can give you, after service, if you want to come up to me, I'll give you the list of some awesome churches around here that you can give to and help them out. I just want you to be obedient to what God has asked you to do so that you can operate in the fullness of the blessing of God on your life. Amen? But the reason why we give is so we can reach. I want this church to be at a place of financial power so much that, that we can, if we can dream it up, we can write a check for it and accomplish it. You know why? Because there's kids out there on the streets that need to hear the gospel. Do you know what the suicide rate is for teenagers right now? It's insane. Did you know that every day almost 3,500 teenagers attempt suicide in this nation? insane did you know that over um over a million teenage girls are going to become pregnant this year and of that million 350,000 of them are going to have an abortion because of the stats somebody needs to be reaching these people somebody needs to be reaching the next generation somebody needs to be out there letting them know that there's a god that loves them and a jesus that died so that they didn't have to go to hell so that they can have restored lives and hopes and dreams and a vision for their life it's our job to get out there and reach them but we're never going to be able to reach outside the doors of this church if we don't understand that that happens through our generosity and our faithfulness in giving amen did i spend enough time on that yeah, probably so. <laughs> probably so. Um, Philippians chapter 2 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There comes a moment in your life well, you have to look at the giants that intimidate you and hold you back and keep you from stepping in to the promise that God has for you. You have to look at those things and not be confident in yourself, but be confident in the God that you serve. And remember all the victories that he's led you through and look at the promise and potential that lays ahead of you in your walk with him and everything that scripture says that you can have. And you gotta choose whether or not you're gonna remain in, in, a, in a position of self-preservation and comfort and really what it is is selfishness and stay where you are or if you're going to trust God and step out and put yourself in a place where he can begin to do something in and through your life and it's not until you take that step 
that you begin to see God move. Because God operates through faith. Sometimes you have to step out into in a position that makes no sense. You have to trust God with finances that you don't have sometimes. Well, that's easy for you to say you're a preacher. Dude, do you know how many times I've been living on ramen noodles and only had about a dollar to my name and I said, you know what, God, I trust you with this anyway? You know, you know I lived out of my car for six months <laughs> just trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. And I tell you what, I've seen him provide over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because if you trust him, he's always faithful. Because if he's not, then he's not God. If he's not true to his word, then nothing else matters. How can we trust Je- How can we say that we trust Jesus for our salvation and not trust him to handle the issues in our lives? Think about that. That's just crazy. We all come to a point of decision. Our own little personal Gethsemane. Jesus went to the cross, but Jesus went to the cross because he decided in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was going to do it. And that is probably, next to, next to um, Romans chapter 7, 6 and 7, this is probably one of, the, one of the block of scriptures that I appreciate the most for me personally because it lets us see Jesus the Son of God, wrestle through prayer with selfishness. Jesus prayed, look, if there's any way, Father, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to go through what I'm fixing to have to go through. Is there any other way? Is there any other way that this can be done? And then he says, you know what? It's fine, I'm settling it. It's not my will, but it's yours. He went to the cross because he defeated that selfishness. You know, a lot of stuff happens to selfishness in the shadow of the cross. Selfishness dies in the shadow of the cross. Um... It just dies because in the cross, the cross reminds us that without Jesus, we're dead. We're dead. The Bible says that before Christ, we were dead in sin. We're dead. We have absolutely nothing if it weren't for the cross. The sacrifice of the cross It destroys selfishness because it reminds us that everything that we have and everything that we're gonna have in life and everything that we are entitled to through our relationship with Jesus is there because he hung and he died on that cross for us. We, praise God, we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. We're able to walk into the blessing of God. It reminds us that we're dead without Jesus. We're dead without Jesus. The Bible says that we were bought with a price. It means that in Christ we have everything and at the same time we don't belong to ourselves. The second thing about the cross is this. The cross reminds us of what's required. It reminds us of what's required. Because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, that you've got to deny yourself and take up your what? And follow me. We got to die to that selfishness that's inside of us and set it aside 
Because if we allow it to fester eventually, it's going to bring us into a place where we're in rebellion to what God wants us to do in our lives. And it's going to impact what God wants to be able to do in and through and for us. We're going to sit at that bank and stare at that river and never be able to cross over into all the potential that God has for us until we come to the place where we know what's required and we put that selfishness, when we put that hurt, we put that trust on that cross and we let it be a settled issue once and for all in our lives. The third thing that the cross does though is awesome because it reminds us of the promise. It reminds us of the promise because it's not just about the fact that we were dead and we don't have anything if God hadn't given everything we've got comes from God. It's not so much about that. It's, it's not about what's required because when you look at what God asks of us and you look at what God has provided for us, what he asks is like this and what he's provided is like this. We see the promise because beyond the cross is a resurrection. Amen? And if we will die to ourselves... And we will put ourselves, our selfishness, those, whatever it is that stands between you and who God has called you to be, if we will put it up there and let it die, God will raise us up a new creation. That's what the Bible says. And the promise of everything that's in that Bible for our lives, if we will just put ourselves up there on that cross and allow God to work through us, is there for us. The promise. A lot of times people lose sight of the promise because of the giant. Just like those people did in Israel. Those crazy, crazy people. How could they look at everything that God had done and then be scared because of a couple of giants? Even after God said that he would be with them in battle and that he would even go before them to prepare the way. That's crazy. But you know God said the same thing about you. He said it'll never fail you. He'll never forsake you. He'll go before us. And he's preparing a place for us right now. There is not one issue you're going to face in your life from this day forward that God's going to be surprised by. And his provision and his way is waiting for you when you get to that moment. Because that's how God operates. What we got to do is this. We can't let selfishness blind us. We can't get caught up in how things affect us and lose sight of what God wants to do. We can't sit in rebellion against what God wants us to do in his word. Because if we do, it's going to cut the legs out from underneath what God wants to do in us and through us and for us in our lives. Amen? Good stuff? Stand up. Let's prepare to close out the service. Bow your heads and close your eyes after you stood up. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that you're always with us and that your motive towards us is always for our best interest. You're never a God that wants to just pound us into the ground. The Bible says that your motive towards us is love. But there comes a time in our lives from time to time when we have to look things in the eyes and we have to see giants that we're facing because you said in your word that we were going to face troubles, we were going to face trials, and that we were going to have to deal with issues in our lives and our walk with you. And we've all got a choice to make in here. and it, it, it's, it's all packaged different, but it's all the same. 
Are we going to let you be on the throne of our lives? Or are we going to put ourselves on the throne of our lives? God, I pray that everybody in here makes the decision to put you first in every area of their lives. You might be here this morning and you've been hurt so bad that if you told your story, there wouldn't be a dry eye in this place. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm so glad that you're here. I want to let you know that I get it. I get it. But I want to encourage you this morning that you serve a God that loves you and a God that wants to restore you and heal that hurt in your life. You might be here this morning and you were molested by a family member. You might be here this morning and you've been betrayed by people that you put the utmost trust in. And if you had to be honest, you know what? That wound is still there. That wound is still there. And if you had to be, I mean, just, just painfully honest, at times it's all that you see and it cripples you. And it stands in between you and all the potential that God has for your life. It's literally made you put on the brakes and you haven't gone any further. You might be here this morning and, 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 the, and the, the whole financial thing has just been an issue with you. I want to encourage you this morning to step out in a, in a place and trust God with your finances. Trust God with your life. You hear in, in, in talking to people about Jesus, this absolutely scares you to death. Just take a step and trust Him. You never know what God can do through you. It's all packaged differently, but at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Are we intimidated by what we see occupying the promised land that God has for us? Or are we going to trust God to move in and through us, to do what He said, to go before us and to help us take down the giants in our lives one at a time as we draw closer to him. If you're here this morning and you just be just painfully honest and you say what? You say, Josh, you know what, man? I, I got some selfishness in my life. I got some selfishness and I can own it, but I'm ready to just throw that stuff off and step into everything that God wants for me as his child. If that's you this morning, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me.